You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. I, I won't take a long time this morning. Do, do you have any confidence at all when I say that? That uh, I, I, I never preach long. It just seems that way to people, I think. You remember the story of the guy who takes his child to church a lot like today when children were present in the worship service and... and uh, and, and so somebody stands up and does this, and he says to his dad, Daddy, what does that mean? And he says, that means that we should stand. And then somebody does this, and he says, Daddy, what does that mean? He says, that means we should be seated. And it came time for the pastor to preach, and the pastor stands up, and he takes his watch off, and he lays it on the podium in front of him. And the little boy said, Daddy, what does that mean? And he says, Honey, that means absolutely nothing. has no meaning. <laughs> You know, I remember Annette and I really well when we found out we were going to be parents. We were so excited. Brittany was coming into our lives. We began working on names and stuff. We picked out a name. We just could not believe that we were going to have a little girl in our home. And we were so excited. But we had no idea in the world how much she was going to cost us. No idea. Even before we left the hospital, they wanted us to sign papers committing that we would pay whatever the difference was and what the insurance had paid to bring her home. And from that point on, it was everything you could imagine. All kinds of clothes, and not just clothes, but certain kinds of clothes and brands of clothes. And then there were interests that she had as she grew older. There were hobbies she wanted to be involved in. And we gladly financed all of her dreams. And then I remember there was finally a car that we would buy and there was education that we had to pay for. My goodness, we couldn't believe how much education was costing us. But we were glad to do it. Morgan came along. And it was the same story, but it wasn't just about money. We invested lots of energy, lots of effort, lots of time into our girls. We coached them. We loved them. We taught them. We spent time with them. We listened to them. We prayed over them. We still pray over them. And we still get to invest money in them. <laughs> there was a reason we did all of that. In our minds, we wanted our girls to be as balanced and as healthy emotionally Mentally, socially, spiritually, physically, in every way. We wanted to see their dreams fulfilled. We wanted their lives to be full. We wanted everything God wanted for them. And we were willing to contribute and invest in order to make it happen. So, we can all understand that. We can all relate to it because we were all young once. And either somebody was investing in us or somebody was not investing in us when they should have been. So everybody in the room can look back on their life and say, I understand exactly what you're talking about. Because in my life, either somebody was making the same kind of investment or somebody was failing to make that same kind of investment in my life. Let me ask you this. What about Christian babies? Or what about Christian children? Or what about Christian teenagers? People who are young in the faith. Who's investing in them? And what does God expect of us in that regard? 
So, so I know it's going to feel a little bit personal here this morning, and it may feel that way as we move through a little bit, but I want to ask you a question. And I believe it's a really important question that you take with you when you leave today and that you struggle with some. And I don't think it's one that you just kind of try to get a pat answer and satisfy yourself and move on, but I think through the day, through the week, I really want you to, to struggle with this, okay? Does God expect me? Does God want me? Does God desire for me? Is it God's plan for me that I invest my time and my energy and my effort and maybe even my money in others, young Christians, with the expectation that they will experience spiritual growth because of my investment? Does God expect, does God want, does God desire, is God plan, God's plan for me to invest my time, my energy, my effort, maybe even my money in young Christians with the expectation that they will experience spiritual growth in their lives because of my investment? Is that what God asks of every one of us? Grab a Bible, will you? And let's go to the book of Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11. So, a few months ago, I preached a series to you called Sent. And while I was in that series, I referenced this passage of Scripture a couple of times. But that's all I had time to do was to reference it. And so I made a note, and in that note, I said, this is a Scripture that you want to come back and you want to preach from someday. And so I'm back there today. So we're in Acts chapter 11. But for me, just to read the passage would be a little premature. Let me catch you up a bit, okay? Jesus comes into our world. The Word of God became flesh and made His dwelling among us. God gave His only Son who walked and lived among us. He experienced great opposition and tension with religious leaders. He was falsely accused. He was crucified on a cross. He died there because of our sins, my sin, your sin. He covered our sin with His blood. They put him in a grave, but he did not stay. He was resurrected from the grave. To only talk about the cross is to only talk about part of the gospel. We must talk about the resurrection. He had victory over death, over the grave, and over sin. Over evil. He says to his disciples after he was resurrected from the grave, Don't leave Jerusalem. You should stay here. You should wait for the gift the Father has promised, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So they waited. And while in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit came, filled the place they were staying, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And with great power and encouragement, they began to share the gospel. They began to experience the same tension that Jesus experienced from religious leaders. It finally comes to a head in the seventh chapter of Acts. And they kill a man whose name is Stephen. The Bible says that he was full of faith and that he was full of the Holy Spirit and they stoned him to death because of his faith. Christians in Jerusalem became very concerned and they scatter. They scatter like crazy for their own life's sake. And that brings us to chapter 11. You ready? Verse 19. Here we are. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed. 
They traveled as far as Phoenicia. And so if you're looking at Judea and Samaria and you go north again, you come to a place called Phoenicia. Not only Phoenicia, but Cyprus. Cyprus is an island just to the west of Phoenicia. And then all the way to Antioch, which is north of Phoenicia. So, those who have been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. So, why were they spreading the word only among the Jews? Something changes, though, in the next verse. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, they went to Antioch. And they began to speak to the Greeks also. Now, Luke is talking about these Greek-speaking Gentiles. And so in the mind of a Jew, there were only two classes of people in the world. There were Jews... And there were non-Jews, Gentiles. You were either a Jew or you were a Gentile. And so these people, they go to Antioch and they not only share the gospel with Jews, but they share the gospel with these Greek-speaking Gentiles. Telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. And the Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and they turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem and they had sent Barnabas to Antioch. It's almost one of these ideas of what do we do? We've got this unusual situation going up on Antioch where that we've been sharing the gospel with Jews and thousands of them have been embracing Christ and believing the gospel. But now we have a group of people up in Antioch and they're Gentiles and they've heard the gospel. What should we do? So they send a guy named Barnabas up. Maybe, Barnabas, you should go and do something with these people. And so when he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and he was encouraged. Or rather, and he encouraged them all to remain true in the Lord or to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. And he was full of faith. And a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Now, He obviously sees that he is not fully sufficient to do this job on his own. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, who we later call Paul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. Now listen to these words. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. Now listen to the last sentence. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. So this is God's word for us today. I think I know something about you. And I think what I know about you is this. That you want your life to count for something significant. That you're not content with getting up in the morning and going to work and coming home and kind of collapsing in front of a television and watching it until you go to bed and the next day repeat that over again. 
And the next day, repeat that over again. I believe that you have a desire to do something significant with your life. I believe that you have a desire to make a difference in your world. I believe that you have a desire that says, I don't want to just live and then die and that's it. I want my life to count for something. I want to leave the world better and different than it was when I came. I want to have some kind of an impact on the world that I live in. Simply put, I want to make a difference. So I've been saying to you for these last three weeks, what if we became the church that made every effort to connect people with Jesus? That's obligatory. It puts it on our back. It's full of responsibility that I'm going to live my life saying, okay, today I want to make every effort connect somebody to Jesus. I had a conversation with a sweet lady who used to attend this church years ago who prays daily for the church and prays daily for me. And she said to me on the phone this week, Pastor Rick, I believe that God wants Bethany First Church to become that kind of church, a church that is faithful to witness and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with everyone they meet. And as we help people connect with Jesus, then together we want to become like Jesus in our relationship with the Father, in our relationships with one another, and in our relationships with people who don't know Jesus. What if we started with our own kids? What if we started with our own babies and children and teenagers in Christ? Some of the Youngest Christians in the faith that we know are our students and our teenagers, right? I mean, if you want to talk about people that I know that have been walking with the Lord just a few years, I mean, some of the youngest Christians I know are children and students who are already a part of our lives and a part of our church. Some of them their families attend, some of them they don't. We have lots of students who show up here every Wednesday night and their families don't come, but they are as faithful as any of our kids. And week after week they come and they sit under worship and they sit under great biblical teaching and they come back over and over and over again, all on their own. And so what if? What if we said, okay, we're going to invest. We're going we're gonna to make the kind of an investment that says, okay, I'm going to give up my time, my energy, my resources, my effort, and I'm going to do all of that investing in someone hoping that there's this expectation in my mind that they're going to experience spiritual growth because I made an investment in their life. What if we just started with our own children and students? What a novel idea. So when I talked a minute ago about it, maybe getting a little bit personal. I thought I might ask you to do something. And that is just, just take a minute right here, no matter how old you are in the room. And, and you might even take out a piece of paper and a pencil. And you might even write down a name or two of people who made an investment in your life. So if you just said, okay, Rick, let me think here. I'm going to just think about who it is that really reached out to me and made an investment in my life. 
that I would grow in my faith, who really poured into me, prayed for me, spent time with me, taught me, talked to me, who would those people be? I, I think it might be healthy if you wrote down a name or two. These are the people who reached out to me. See, if I was going to make that list, I would start with my mother. When it came to just guiding me in my faith, my father, a good dad, and, and helped me in a lot of ways, but, but my mom kind of took that role of guiding me in my faith a little more than my dad did. I would say my mom. But my dad led by great example as well. I, I would name names like a guy named Twyman Stevens and a guy named Donnie Bennett and a lady named Kay Powell and a lady named Louise Patton. These were all people at a little church in a small Kentucky town where I grew up that just poured their life into kids like me. And, and my life is forever different because of them. You, you got people in, in your mind that you would write down? So these are the people, Rick, who poured into my life. I know they prayed for me because they told me they did. They spent time with me. They taught me. They gave themselves to me. They poured into my life. Do you understand that the history of Christianity is a story about people investing in others? Jesus gets 12 guys around him and he makes them his disciples and he teaches them and he lives in relationship with them and he prays for them. We hear him pray for them in the Gospel of John. He invests his life in them. And then here's what he says I want you to do. Here's what I want you to do, okay? Now I want you to go make disciples. I want you to pray for and teach and do relationships and invest in other people's lives. And you get to Acts chapter 2, verse 46, and you find that these people are devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and the leadership, and you kind of clap, and you say, look, it's happening. They're doing it. Jesus invested in these guys, and now these guys are invested in other guys. And then you get to this great persecution that breaks out against the church, as I shared with you a moment ago, and they scatter. And as they start scattering, what happens? They go all over the place talking about Jesus, preaching the gospel wherever they go, to the Jews. But some, some go to where these Gentiles are. And they start talking to them about Jesus, and they become followers of Christ. And as they become followers of Christ, the church says, we don't know what to do at this point. And so they send a guy named Barnabas. We're going to send you there. And you go do what you can. Come back. Give us a report. Let us know what's up. And Barnabas gets to the city of Antioch. Now, Antioch was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. It's doing well economically. Like all large cities, it has its struggles with immorality. And it's in this city of Antioch that some Christians find their way and they begin to share the gospel. And Barnabas finds that God is doing something powerful. He recognizes that, that God is moving here. And he's got a task now of investing in these people. And he realizes the task may be a little too big for me. And so he goes to Tarsus. And he looks for and he finds and he brings Saul, who we call Paul. He's got a great education. He's a good teacher. 
And the Bible says for an entire year, they teach the believers at Antioch. And so what do you have? You got baby Christians. You got these little baby Christians. And they need to grow in their faith. And they need to learn. And they need to be encouraged. And they need to grow. And so what happens is we got to give another applause. Because not only did Jesus teach the disciples. Now the disciples are teaching others. And the others who have been taught, what are they doing? They start investing in other people's lives. The story of Christianity is a story about people investing in other people. So people begin to grow in their faith. It becomes a fire that you really can't put out. So let's talk about what Saul and Barnabas did, okay? Do me a favor, and this is just a little exercise. It's a little bit silly, but I think it'll help make a point. Would you, would you just put your arm out with a fist closed up like that right there? Just everybody... I'm thinking it might be better if you all go the same direction. Um, don't use this as a license to hit the person beside you with your fist or anything like that. But if you will just let your elbow slightly bend now and just bring it down toward your face and land it right there on your chin. Will you do that? Right there. Now, some of you are saying cheek, chin. But about 75% of you have your fist right here on your cheek. And I didn't want you to put it on your cheek. I said put it on your chin, didn't I? Your chin would be down here, Mr. Rothwell. Right there you go. There you go. And the simple point that I make is that what I do has a lot more bearing on you than what I say. Right? So all I said was bring it down and put it on your chin. And everybody put it on their cheek. (laughs) Except about 25% of you. But I really said put it on your chin. We have a saying in our society that says, do as I say, not as I do. I remember when my Morgan was 16 and we were trying to teach her how to drive a car. It was challenging. Morgan is free-spirited like me. She struggles with rules. Now I'd say to her, Morgan, whatever you do, I'm sincere now. You never drive over the speed limit. She said, Dad, I watch you drive over the speed limit all the time. And I would say, I know, but I'm going to do better. And what she was saying was, I'm hearing what you say, but that doesn't have much bearing on me. I'm watching what you do. And for me, Morgan was one of those kids that really kept me toeing the line. She would challenge me because it was never about what I said with Morgan. It was always about what I did. So, Paul says a lot. Think about how much of the New Testament he writes. And I love to listen to what he says. But I'm probably a little more interested in what he does. And so when I open the Bible to Acts chapter 11, I see him now maybe only eight or nine years into his own faith. But what does he do? He goes to a place called Antioch with a guy named Barnabas. And together, they do two things. They encourage these baby Christians to stay committed to the Lord no matter what. And for an entire year, you know what they do? They invest their lives in them by teaching them. 
And so it's not just a matter of Paul encouraging us in his writing that we need to invest in baby Christians. He does it with this incredible example of investing in young Christians. Now, think about it with me just for, for just a few minutes. Uh, Annette and I, we were, you know, um, at a Target. Uh, you know what Target's like. It's the red store. And, and we were coming up to the checkout line not long ago. And as, as we're coming up to the checkout line, um, they're just all full. And, and we're kind of feeling in a hurry. But, you know, just pick a line. You just got to wait. And so Annette looks over and she sees a guy standing at the customer service desk. And, and he's wearing, you know, the khaki pants, the red shirt. And, and uh, he's just standing there, just doing nothing. And so Annette says, uh, this guy will check us out. I'm going to go ask him. And so we walk over to him. And she just says to him, uh, I'm sorry to ask you this, but the lines are really long. We're kind of in a hurry. I only have this one item. Could you check me out? And he looks at Annette and he says, I don't work here. Now let me just let me just throw out something just for your maybe future here, okay? If you go to Target and you're wearing khakis and a red shirt and you're just kind of walking around, the chances are really good. I mean, I'm not going to promise you this is going to happen, but the chances are really good that somebody might assume you work there and ask for your help. Could happen. You, you know what we learn about students these days? And this is good, solid research from people at Fuller Seminary, they say that every student, every student needs to be able to identify four or five loving adults who are investing in their lives. There were years ago that we had this other ratio back when Bob Green and I were in youth ministry, and it was that we try to have every adult for every four or five students. That was the goal. And, and now we've reversed that. I said, no, for every one student, we want four or five adults who are invested in their life. Every student needs to be able to invest, understand that there are four or five adults who love me, who care about me, who pray over me, who pour in my life, who teach me, who walk with me, who really care about my relationship with God. Every student needs to identify about four or five who say, I do that for you. And here's what research tells us. The likelihood is, and I know it's not a foolproof thing, but the likelihood is that they are more apt to stick to their faith and grow in their faith because you invested in them. It's like wearing a red shirt and khakis to Target. I can't tell you it's going to happen for sure, but I can tell you the chances are really strong that if our students can identify four or five adults who are pouring into their lives, they are more likely to experience spiritual growth and stick to their faith. So another question, if you don't mind. Who are you investing your life in? Can you say like Paul and Barnabas, here are the people that we are encouraging to be true to the Lord and we are teaching them so they can grow in their faith. been asking a question lately because of some reading I've been doing. I've been trying to test this guy to see if he's right. And so every time I sat down with somebody at a meal, 
or I get with a group of people, or I get any kind of an audience that will listen to me. Even the other night I had a couple hundred people in a room and I passed a microphone around and asked them. I've been asking everybody. How do we help people grow in, your, in their faith? And so the question is, you are a strong Christian who have grown in your faith. How did you grow? And if I can figure out how you grew in your faith, then maybe I can help other people grow in their faith. And so my reading has proven to be true. About five answers is what I get from everybody. People tell me the way that I grow in my faith, practical teaching. It may be good deep theological teaching, it may be expositional teaching, but it is teaching that is practical enough that I can apply it to my everyday life. It has to be practical. Other people tell me I grow in my faith through personal devotions. It's my time spent with God, me owning my walk with God. Other people say it's through service. I wasn't growing in my faith until I started teaching the fifth grade boys class and I have grown so much in my faith. Or I went on a two-week summer's missions trip and I grew more in that two weeks than I've grown in years. And other people tell me it's through essential relationships, pivotal relationships in my life. It's where I grow with someone else in my faith. Maybe somebody that I meet or I'm in a group with or somebody who invests in my life, but it's a relationship. And the last one, we don't control as much, but we can help. And that is people who say life experiences. Maybe it was a tragedy that I went through, but I grew closer to God because of it. And often the reason people drew closer instead of turning and walking away from God because of it was because there were relationships, people who walked with them through that struggle. So when I hear all of that, I understand what a need to be involved in one another's walk with God and spiritual growth. So Paul and Barnabas could say, these are the people that we are encouraging. Don't turn from your faith. These are the people that we're teaching. So let me ask you, who are the people in your life that you would say, these are the people that I'm encouraging not to turn from their faith, and these are the people that I'm teaching? So I'll be, I'll be as open as I know how to be with you this morning. I have a great team of people that I work with. And, and I go to staff meetings. And here's what we talk about sometimes at staff meetings. Jen Vera, who does a great job recruiting for children's ministry, says, we really need help in our children's ministry. We need teachers, we need sponsors, we need workers, we need helpers, we need kind of referees when the fights break out. We need, we need lots of people volunteering in our children's ministries. And I said to Chris Holcomb the other day and David Bond in a conversation about youth ministry, do you really need people working with you right now in youth ministry? Are you short? And they both looked at me and said, we are short right now. And so I know that this is the month of July, but August will be here before you know it. And when we come toward the end of August, man, we start ramping up. And every year, this time of year, we feel a real need to start saying, hey, we need people to help us because August is going to be here and the kids are going to show up like crazy as soon as school starts and we need a lot of people involved. And so this morning, I want to invite you to stop on your way out of the room this morning in that main foyer. And if you normally go out these doors, reroute and go out these doors. And there will be lots of youth and children's staff people there. And they would love to have a conversation with you about how you might be used in children and youth ministry in this coming fall. We really need your help.
what, what if, what if in this whole desire to disciple people in their faith, we just started with some of the youngest Christians we have? And what if the youngest Christians we have are our children and our teenagers? And what if we just said, okay, we're going we're gonna to just make investments there. I'm going to encourage them in their faith. I'm going to teach them. And together we are going to become like Jesus in our relationship with the Father, in our relationships with one another, and in our relationships with people who don't know Jesus. We're going to start there. And there are many of you in this room who can make such a huge difference in the life of a child or a student. So that's what we're asking you to do. All right, before I let you go this morning, here's just one other thing. The last sentence I read to you, pretty special sentence. It was at Antioch that these followers were first called Christians. Did the investment that Paul and Barnabas make, did it pay off? Now, they weren't called Christians by the Jews. The Jews called them Nazarenes. You remember last week we talked about Nazareth was a poor place, and it was a derogatory term when they said, you're the Nazarenes, okay? You're followers of Jesus the Nazarene. He's from nowhere. You're nothing. You're Nazarenes. That's all you are. But it was the Gentiles around Antioch who first began to say, wow, These people behave like Jesus. They act like Jesus. They treat people like Jesus. <laughs> They're compassionate. Look at the next paragraph. Like Jesus is compassionate. They're very generous in giving like Jesus is generous in giving. They're just like Christ. They're a bunch of Christians is what they are. They act just like Jesus acts. God took what Paul and Barnabas invested and huge dividends paid off. These people began to grow in their faith to the point that the people around them said, these people act just like their leader, Jesus. They're kind, they're loving, they're careful, they're gentle, they're good. They give. made a difference. And you can make a difference in the lives of children and students. And so today, on your way out, I'm encouraging you to stop by, okay? We really don't live this Christian life on an island. We don't live it in isolation or seclusion. We do it together. And so, before we go today, we're going to celebrate our togetherness in the act of communion. Do you hear the word community in the word communion? And so together we help each other grow in our faith. And we come to the table this morning as His body, His family, the family of Jesus Christ, to His table to eat with Him. And so I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And those who are going to service are going to come now and prepare to do that. Let me say this to you that in our church we practice open communion, meaning that you don't have to be a member here to participate. But you must be sincere in what you're doing and you must be seeking Jesus with all your heart and so after you receive the elements this morning we ask that you hold them in your hand and after everybody has been served we will eat and we will drink together so let's sing together 
and focus our hearts and our minds on Christ and the great gift and the great sacrifice that he made as we prepare for this act. So Jesus took the bread with his disciples and he broke it and he said, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it, all of you, and eat it. And then he took a cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink it and be thankful. Thank you, Father. We are so blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you know, I just um, I just thought, how would we end our time together today? And I, and I didn't give you a heads up on this, Harlan, but uh, I'd love for you to, to do this. Could we sing the doxology together? It's such a such a neat weekend, so important for our nation. And you have lots of family probably with you today. And we get to be all together. And so... Our ending note will be to sing the doxology together. Would you lead us, Harlan?
Jesus Christ. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.